What makes money is not in those that will say yes and those that will say no. Because typically 10% of a marketplace will say yes if you just ask them. They woke up that morning and they say, oh my God, I got a toothache. And then you walk by and say, hey, I got this dentist. You should go and see them. They're like, perfect. Hello, hello, Backstage Business listeners. Today, I am talking to a guy who is known as one of the top five living marketers on the planet. And his name is Jason Fladlian, and he's known as the $100 million webinar man. His pitch webinars have set records in the information, coaching, affiliate, and software space. So you're going to get all kinds of really cool tidbits and strategy on how to launch webinars, how to launch affiliate campaigns, and so many good things that you've probably never even thought of. I super geeked out talking to him. He definitely intimidates me because he's so wicked smart. He's got an incredible company that helps do this for other people. Let me tell you a little bit more about him, and then I'm going to let you hear his really cool story in the interview. So he's um, definitely claimed as the best webinar presenter, but he's also considered the best teacher of webinars. And he draws upon his eclectic background for inspiration. And I'm not going to tell you what that is because I want you to hear it from himself, but it's a really cool, interesting background. Um, But he's just, he's got this incredible passion. You're going to hear in his voice and he has just so much to share that I'm definitely going to invite him back on the podcast. I promise you that because you're going to want to hear more. And I had so many questions that I didn't even get to because time just flew by. So we definitely have to have more interviews with Jason. Um, I want to, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you know what? He covers it in the interview. You're going to hear about this incredible launch, probably one of the, the biggest ever in, in affiliate marketing and um, how, how he made that happen. So, so many marketing tips that you can apply to your own business. And especially if you are interested in doing webinars, want to know why you should be doing webinars, you're going to hear all about that in the interview. So enjoy it. And as always, let us know what you think. If you have more questions, if you have specific questions, feel free to email me personally at summer at the uh, especially if you have more questions that you would like for Jason and I to talk about when I bring him back on. And let's see, we'll have all the links to everything he's talking about because I know he covers a lot. And as always, um, I would so appreciate it if you take a minute to review the podcast, share, like, all the good things that help us grow, and if you have specific topics you would like for me to speak on personally, please let me know. All right, guys, enjoy the interview. Jason. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm so stoked that you're here. And you just told me that, well, actually, you just made me feel really special that I get to have you on my podcast. (laughs) That's great. When people think that it's special to have me, I know I'm doing my job right. (laughs) Um, So you're, well, the reason why I'm super excited is because I've seen you, I've seen you speak many times. I know all of the 
the amazing track record you have with all the things that you've done. And quite honestly, it's intimidating because you just have this brilliant mind. And the way that you explain things, though, seems very simple. So it's just, you know, you make it very executable. And um, you just come up with these genius ideas and services. And just the way that you do everything blows my mind. And I'm always so excited when I get to hear you or when I get to log in and watch a Jason Fladley and 10 minute genius talk, because I know I'm going to walk away with so much. So I'm so stoked that I get to share that with my audience. Nice. Let's jam. All right. So first I feel like it's important to acknowledge (laughs) a little bit of your background and before you became Jason, one of the top five marketers on the planet. You have you have some an interesting story of how you got there. So if you can just share that high level view of what got you into all of this. Yeah, that's a it's it's interesting and it's almost unbelievable, which is why I usually don't share it like when I'm selling on a webinar or doing a training program, because people are just like, no, that that can't be true. But I my whole life I always was like a performer. I love to do music and I like to rap a lot. And and I was like seven when I started performing and rapping in front of audiences and crowds and things like that. And so throughout my life, that's what I thought my passion was going to be. And finally, I took it serious and I created a record label when I was 21 and put together a rap album and released it. Uh, and what really actually, some of what got me serious was I was kind of treating it like a hobby until then. But one of the musician's friends that I had used to be a monk is a Hare Krishna monk. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds kind of interesting. Uh, so I tried it out. And <laughs> next thing, a month later, I'm a full blown, just all the way in, which is kind of, I got that, that trait of, I, if, if I either don't do it or I do it 1000%. And there's yeah. very little in between, you know? Uh, so good and bad, but whatever, it is what it is. So I'm a rapping monk, a Hari Krishna monk who's created this rap album. And Spent my whole life savings and everything, just my whole day and night was just chanting and meditating and and rapping and creating music, but I couldn't sell any of it. I mean, I could do okay, but not really well. So I started really studying how does, how do businesses work? How do people determine what to buy and what not to buy and what makes somebody buy? And up until that point, some of the most interesting thing in my life had been music. I thought that was my, my calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I discovered was the psychology of what made people buy the music, aka marketing, was be- quickly became more fascinating to me than the music did. So I was doing the marketing for the music, really wanting to do more marketing than music. Uh, so I eventually just said, you know what, I I just want to do the marketing. The other interesting thing about me uh, that I kind of take for granted, Summer, but uh, we were one of the few people in 1986 that had an Apple II computer in our home. And oh, wow. Not because we made a lot of money, because we certainly were below the poverty line. Uh, but my dad was a teacher at the high school, and he taught um, stuff with computers back then, programming one, programming two, and you know, typewriting, whatever, uh, computer processing. So we had this computer on loan from the school. So I was using computers when I was three years old. Nowadays, that's not a big deal. I mean, you, you put a kid in front of a tablet and they just know how to make it work because right. it's like enmeshed in their world experience. But back then, 
I would have to run command prompts just to boot up the system at three years old because there was no mouse and there was no graphic user interface. Yeah. Everything was a text prompt. And so I learned computers at the age of three. So I was like one of the first generations that can truly say, from the moment I learned how to recognize the world around me, technology was part and parcel of that. Uh, and again, nowadays with kids, it's, it's like, duh, of course. But, uh, you know, like I learned how to, if I wanted to put something on the internet, I had to actually write HTML. There was no fancy schmancy fill in the blanks and push a button and it's published on Facebook like all the youngins today just take for granted. Exactly. <laughs> There's some code being executed on the back end there, but nobody sees this. So I had this massive technology understanding and all the music I produced was electronic. Even if I played all the instruments, we recorded it, edited it, processed it, did it all digitally. So my life was digital. Um, but so it made sense for me to say, well, the digital marketing or the concept of e-commerce is going, is going to explode one day. Let me get really good at that. Uh, and this was around 2006, 2007. I made the shift in 2007 to start doing marketing purely just to make money from the marketing aspect of it. Um, and I did okay, but not great. So I, at this point, I was so broke that I had to go and paint houses to like support myself. So I'd get up in the morning, work two hours on my internet business. uh, And then I would go paint all day for somebody else making like 12 bucks an hour. Then I'd come home at night and work on my internet business again. Um, And I was to the point where I was making money here and there, but not enough to replace this, you know, 12 hour monstrosity, which was a day job. Uh, And so I said, instead of trying to make myself money, why don't I just make other people money and then take a part of it? So I started writing articles, ghostwriting articles for other people because article marketing was huge back then. You write an article, post a link to your site and you get a lot of traffic and you can- I did the same thing, yeah. Yeah, it was was crazy. Easing articles was what we used back then. And for whatever reason, Google had a love affair with easing articles. Uh, And- that was interesting. So people would pay me money to write their articles for them and then they would attempt to monetize them. And I started making 40 to 50 to 60 bucks an hour, which was insane. Small town Iowa boy like me, I'd never seen money like that. Uh, and I did that for like six months. And I thought, you know what? People probably want to know how I'm writing these articles. So I created my first info product, uh, sold it for a whopping $4, mind you. <laughs> uh, I mean, crazy, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I never made an info product before. I never created a sales letter to sell an info product before. I put it out there. Back then, we were advertising on forums. Forums was a literally a valid way to do business online. Huge, uh, yeah. Yeah, crazy, huh? I mean, today, what we take for granted back then is like, so I took an ad out on a forum, an internet marketing forum called the Warrior Forum, and I sold like four grand worth of that product in two weeks. And I thought, whoa. This is pretty cool. Because <laughs> you're just in this forum, you know, it's like being in this room with the exact people that want exactly what you are offering. Well, and, and even better, Summer, I got so lucky or fortunate or whatever you want to call it because um, this was my product in a nutshell. Uh, I never realized that this is abnormal, but this is just the way I was always kind of configured was, you know, it was a six page ebook. Uh, and it was basically, hey, you want to write articles fast? Here's what you do. Here's the second thing you do. Here's the third thing you do. There was no history of the article. There was no context of the bigger picture of where it played into. There was no fluff. Uh, and it was in and out and I was done. Um, what had happened was people were able to dive into that product, immediately apply it and report back in within the same day. So yeah. we really were doing social media marketing before. Uh, I believe before Facebook was even available to everybody publicly. Um, And and 
what had happened was the comments, which back then were not gamed and people weren't seeding them. They were generally organic and authentic. That's what really made the sell work because everybody says, this is amazing. This is fantastic. This is great. I did this and I used to write an article in 30 minutes and I write it in 15 minutes or I write it in 20 minutes or I write it in 10 minutes. And so that's what took off. And then I was just smart enough to say, whoa, because what I did, Summer, I didn't teach anybody how to make any actual money. I didn't say post your articles here or write these headlines to get more traffic. I literally just isolated on, hey, if it takes you 30 minutes to write an article and I can get you there in 15 minutes, you'll pay for that independent of anything else. Whether you make a single dollar, that's on you. Uh, and so I was like, I call these one problem, one solution, one sitting type of products, because this was a six-page book. I wrote it in two hours. I just took a simple process, just a very granular, very micro uh, application and applied it. And then once I validated it, because it worked, I just said, let's repeat this. So for the next year, because again, this is my obsessive personality kicking in, right? I just hunted. What's that one little constraint that I can solve? Uh, And I got so good at like 15 or 20 different things because I would isolate on these little tiny little things and figure out the best system, deploy it out there for five, 10, 20, 30 bucks. Um, And that allowed me to master several different separate and distinct talents. And then over time, obviously, there's overlap. And I can combine all that into the foundation that later became when I said, if people like this on the simple level, what if we went in depth and went a little bit bigger? And that's when we started teaching via webinar. So we would sell the webinar package. So we'd say, pay us 200 bucks and come to eight webinar sessions. And then I said, well, what's the best way to sell webinar sessions? Maybe a webinar. And that's when I dove in 2008, learned how to sell on webinars. And then the rest is history because most people consider me today to be the number one webinar person in the whole wide world. So that's really what... Um, got me to the fame <laughs> well, and the I success mean, and the riches and the rock star lifestyle that I live today. No, I, it's so true. I mean, I think it's safe to say that a lot of what digital marketers and online marketers today are doing is 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 the normal thing that they do because of things that you have introduced. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it sounds so surreal to say that, but a majority, my DNA is all over what is now considered commonplace today. Now you guys know why I'm so stoked to have him on here. That's why this is a BFD for me. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I love this whole, I love this whole journey because you're just selling like, a t- you know, here's a, a tiny process. This is obviously the time when it was like, people start to go, holy crap, I can sell information, like just this little piece and people will buy it. Yep. They just spend so much time and I get it in front of the right people and I just sell it over and over again. Yes, you can do that. No over, you know, no, you're not housing any products or anything. It's, it's so cool. And I remember this time and obviously, um, I don't know if you know much of my background, but it was doing the same thing. And then you just kept, so you kept creating things and then you just kept creating them at a higher price each time, correct? And yeah, I'm, this is what's interesting, Summer, is every market has certain leverage points to it that can be exploited. And I don't mean exploited in a, in a bad way, I mean in a good way. Uh, so in every single market you walk into, there's some customer segment that's being underserved or not served at all. That if you zero in and service just them, you gain all the benefits because you are the only one that's recognizing that in serving that segment. It's the most wonderful thing in the world in marketing, I feel. So at the time I entered in 2007, there was, it was commonplace. that said, information is so valuable. It's so important that people should pay a lot of money for it. So eBooks, believe it or not, back then would go for like 47 to $97. 
Yeah. Now, this is pre-Kindle. Um, so Kindle didn't exist back then. Uh, most people didn't even know what an ebook was, much less a PDF. Uh, and there was not a lot of opportunity to do full-on video courses because you couldn't serve those up. So there was kind of this thing where everybody just agreed or was brainwashed into believing that uh, an ebook should go fair market value 47 and 97. And I kind of was on the, the spear point of why it's it's ones and zeros digitally being transferred in space i'll sell it for four bucks to seven bucks ten dollars now it's just the opposite everybody sells everything on you know on kindle for 99 cents uh so i i serviced an under uh, an underserviced market segment now what i didn't know was that it is almost never a benefit to go on the low end of a market that only works when for whatever reason everybody else is neglecting it. Uh, and it's not a long-term play, unfortunately, um, because there's not a lot of margin to it. And you typically deal with the 80% of the market that will only spend 20% of its dollars. So what I learned over time, not by study, but just by observation, was the clients that typically needed the help the most and were underserved the most weren't on the low end, but were on the high end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we now pretty much command the highest prices in any market that we we enter into. And it's not, you know, a lot of people are erroneous in this application, some that they think it's it's somehow due to greed or whatever. But the idea is everybody wants to serve the mass market. So if there's a million people in your market, you say, let's cast the widest net so we can reach a million people, right? Um, that's a usually a horrible strategy, especially for a startup. We say, who are the few in the market where money is far down on the list of what's important in their purchase decision? Yeah. And, and, and two types of people will emerge over and over again. One is the affluent. Um, and they're represented in all sorts of different market segments. You know, So it's like, uh, you know, I, I always joke, well, one of the reasons I started wearing like designer brands and stuff is just to use it as an example. Because uh, it's just, you know, I'm wearing a $600 Louis Vuitton belt right now. A six hundred dollar <laughs> belt, right? Yeah, I think it's stupid to pay that much money for a belt. It's not my most comfortable belt in my wardrobe. I have belts that are twenty or thirty dollars that I prefer to wear over this Louis Vuitton belt, right? Yeah. Uh, but the beauty of having the ability to choose a six hundred dollar belt. It's designed by one of the best designers in the world. It's got classiness all marked around it. And I know when I go in there, I'm going to be treated with respect and not have to deal with some, some kid off the street who just started on Tuesday who, does, who looks at you as an interruption, you know? Right. Uh, so to a multimillionaire, $600 is almost the same as $60 in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So for me, for that, I look good. I feel good when I look good and then I make more money. Maybe, maybe not. That's the justification. Who knows if that's any of that's true or not. But the reality is if you're purely looking at the market and saying, who would buy a $600 belt? 99% of the population would not. But the 1% who would, you don't have to sell that many $600 belts to make a hell of a lot more money uh, than the guys that are selling $60 belts. Right. So, so the affluent are almost always underserved, believe it or not. Um, because people don't realize, even if there's only one out of a hundred households that are millionaires in the United States, that's one out of a hundred. <laughs> yeah. There's 11 million households in the United States alone that are worth over a million dollars. So yes, it is hard to say 99 people I'm not interested, but that one person I am interested in, 
that's the person that everybody tends to neglect. And that's the one we can cater special solutions to. So that's the first one. But here's the second one. And this is what's even more important to me. Um, because I don't necessarily like just to serve the affluent and the wealthy. Um, you know, making a, a millionaire an extra hundred thousand dollars brings me less joy than help, helping a guy make his first ten thousand online, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Then so then you get into the second people, which are those that are so motivated to get out of the pain or the problem that they're in that they realize that this is worth far more than whatever they're going to pay for. So let me give you an example. Um, yes, please. Um, say say you make like 30 grand a year or 20 grand a year, or 40 grand a year. None of those things are impressive. All of them fall beyond the medium income of the U.S. Uh, average income. Um, but let's say you can only sleep two to three hours a night. And it's causing you to slide into a dark, deep depression. It's messing up all your relationships. Um, you read a study the other day that if you don't sleep well, you'll probably die 10 to 20 years early, right? Yeah. Um, and sleep is hard to come by, but you want to solve that problem. Are you going to say, okay, find me the cheapest solution to do that? Or are you going to say, hey, listen, even if this solution cost me five grand, it would be an incredible deal provided that it would once and for all solve my problem with sleep. Mm And you say, Jason, nobody would pay five grand for a sleep solution, especially if they only make 30 grand a year. That's one sixth of their income. I will tell you, I love the person who says, let's create the best solution for this market and then figure out how to get the cost to be as economical as possible versus the person that says, let's start with the constraint of we can only make it this much in terms of retail price. And then we'll have to cut every single corner to ship it in under budget. And that's why you win. Every market, if you look at it, there's a small minority that spends a majority of the money, but everybody treats everybody in the market the same way they treat everybody in a classroom. Right. Uh, you know, they, they, they treat everybody the same. I say we take the genius kids and we accelerate them and we let the, the morons not d- dictate the, the pace <laughs> of the classroom, right? <laughs> no, I, Somewhat kidding. There's certain instances where it makes sense to treat everybody equally and fairly. Uh, no doubt about it. But in the marketplace, it's not one of them. I mean, a draw shot video certainly is not a very uh, inexpensive solution. For the wrong audience, it's a lot of money. For the right a- audience, it's better than free, is it not? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, and, and we have that all the time. Um, where it's, wow, that is so, that is so affordable. And then there's those people that's like, wow, it is, sorry, we just, we just can't do that. And the things, you know, we have, we do have some entry-level different packages and, but people, it's not, it's just not the same. It's not going to be the same experience. Like you said, you know, when you, when you're getting your, your $20 belt at, you know, this other store, it's not the same. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not the same experience as when you're, walking into this store and you're going to pay that money. It's just, it is. I mean, it's, that's just how it is. Um, so I want to talk about some of your most successful wins that I, I, I know they're out there floating, yep. floating on the internet and like how this happened, how you felt when it happened and like, what's, what do you credit 
to these big wins? I mean, I, I'll let you choose some. Like I know yeah. there's, you know, so there's- I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the most famous one, which is interesting yes. because a lot of people don't ever peek below the surface and want to know more about it, which fascinates me, right? Um, but whatever. So, um, 2015. Uh, we were, this was the fourth time we were promoting somebody else's program. It was on how to start an Amazon business. Uh, and the first three times we did incredibly well. In fact, the third time that we promoted it, we set the record during an internet product launch, um, most money made by an affiliate, right? Uh, And so this was not an overnight success, but clearly we took a, a, an advantage, we took an advantageous uh, position in the market and then expanded on that. Um, so the fourth time rolls around and we ended up over a, sp- a span of seven or eight days. I can't remember exactly what at this point, um, we sold over $10 million of somebody else's product, <laughs> meaning that, and we had a 50% commission on that. Um, so at the time, product launches on the internet, um, there was only one product launch prior to this that had grossed overall over $10 million. Uh, and we literally, as an affiliate for somebody else's product launch, uh, did $10 million on our own, right? Um, and I have the screenshot. I use it at all my webinars when I'm teaching people on, you know, the effectiveness of webinars or anything, really. It's like, right. oh, by the way, let me sneak this in to show you how I'm kind of a big deal or whatever, you know? Uh, and number two made like a, a $2 million. And, and number three in the contest, the affiliate made a, a million dollars, right? So everybody was making good money, but how is it that we made five times as much as number two and 10 times as much as number three? That's what I want to know. Yeah, and we represented 40% of the overall launch. Uh, which was insane. Because by the way, the third time that we promoted it, we set the record and then we broke the record uh, the fourth time. Uh, And actually this was the fifth time that we then broke the record again. So when I said it was the fourth, we just got to shift them over one. Uh, So we started promoting this in 2013 and then 2014 and now 2015, it culminated into this insanity. Uh, We promoted it twice that year. And I think we did $18 million in total sales for that year. Again, somebody else's product, not my product, right? Yeah. Um, so here is the lessons. And this is, to me, is fascinating. There's a lot of ways we can slice this up, but uh, um, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do strat- strategy and tactics. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll flip back and forth, right? Uh, so let's start on a tactical level. Um, I did not use any of their sales material, none of their landing pages, none of their webinars that I could have promoted or none of their uh, squeeze pages, none of their email copy, none of their swipe, nothing, Right. So we, we created our own webinar from scratch. And I what percentage would you say of affiliates are using just what they're given? 99.9%. Yeah, that's what I would think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's reasons why in certain instances that makes sense because good enough sometimes is good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the indicators here were, I mean, the track record was pretty obvious. They were, they were doing $10 million launches every time they opened the thing up and they only opened it up twice a year. So if there was ever a time to go all in, this probably was the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody would do that. Now, so that's a tactic. Now here's the strategy behind that summer, which I find more fascinating. If everybody else is promoting the same thing and I'm, and I'm able to dictate what I promote, I can now do things that they can't do. Mm. So here's what I mean by that. Um, All of them kind of have to agree with whatever conclusion is drawn on the page that they're sending people to. 
so every affiliate is essentially saying the same thing. But here's what I've learned in the marketplace. What makes money is not in those that will say yes and those that'll say no. Because typically 10% of a marketplace will say yes if you just ask them, right? Mm -hmm. They woke up that morning and they say, oh my God, I got a toothache. And then you walk by and say, hey, I got this dentist. You should go and see them. They're like, perfect, right? There was not a lot of nuance or sophistication to make that sell. That was a trigger event, what we call, right? Now, there are 10% of people that they wake up, they say, I have a toothache. You should go to the dentist. They say, I will never go to a dentist. And then you meet them later on in life and they have no teeth, right? Yeah. If you say, I'll give you $100 to go to a dentist. They said, I wouldn't go for 1000 So you will never make the money convincing those hard no's into yeses. It's almost impossible. And if you ever do it, it's not worth the effort involved. So 10 people will say yes in almost any circumstance. So you're not really a marketer. Um, you know, the, you see swimming naked when the time goes, tide goes down. That's what Buffett says. So you see who's a real business person when the market gets hard. So, you know, in 2008, when the recession hit, we saw who was a real real estate investor and who was just pretending, right? So yeah. same thing here. We can't live on just the 10% who say yes. And certainly we don't care about the 10% who say no. Where we live and die is on the 80% that say maybe. Mm. The 80% that says, under certain conditions, I might say yes. And under other conditions, I'm definitely not going to say yes. And so what I do is I say, listen, if 80% of the market is still saying maybe after all these other affiliates are saying the same thing, what aren't they saying that they should be saying that could make the difference? And yeah. guess who is the only one that can have that conversation from start to finish? Me, because I control where I'm sending them. So everybody else was limited to only sharing the success stories on the sales pages, on the webinars uh, that the company, amazing.com, was making available. We went out and found our own success stories who would say, hey, doing this with amazing.com was great, but having Jason in my corner was even greater. And now it's like, whoa. Oh. Now we win because literally we're the only ones having that conversation and nobody else can. Or here's another simple thing is, a lot, so this is tactics again, right? We built a bonus package that over time we increased. Now, here's what I did with this bonus package summer. And I, when I say I, I say we as a collective, as a team, because I have a lot of wonderful employees, I have a business partner uh, and all that other stuff, right? Um, so it's never I, it's a full-on group effort, right? I just try to lead the strategy as much as possible. So right. I, I recognize the opportunity to create this frame that uh, is, I found one of the most effective frames in all the business. It, it's this, okay? So... The best business to be in is a luxury slash premium business. Um, by the way, if you hear drilling, they're redoing my whole like living room downstairs. So hopefully it won't be too annoying. Uh, but uh, so the best business to ever be in is a luxury slash premium business. The recession, okay. the middle class does not affect them um, and they will last forever. Whether inflation goes up or down, it doesn't matter. If you study history, the businesses that last are the Louis Vuittons or Apple has made uh, a computer business, a luxury business slash designer business, just going to the retail stores. They make more dollars per square foot than any retail store on the planet, right? Um, yeah. That's where you want to be, okay? But the downside of the luxury business is that it requires a certain amount of sophistication that most people are just unwilling to learn. Um, you, you know, like you have to make it an experience. It's not about the product. Um, it has to have the finer touches, Yes. that matter more than whatever it is that they're buying, right? Um, there's a certain level to it that just 
uh, eludes people for whatever reason um, and, until they have to admit, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Or, you know, people think, well, because I don't spend money that way, therefore I shouldn't do it. But I'll tell you, jet salesmen typically don't own jets, but somebody still needs to sell the jets, right? Yeah. Um, so you are, not, you are not your customer, all that jazz, right? But here's the, the most powerful word you can have in advertising and marketing is the word free. So is it possible to have a luxury, high-end, top-of-market status, the Gucci of its marketplace, right, and still be free? And the answer is, yes, it is possible. So here's what we did. We built a bonus package that was so incredible that people later on rebought the program again. The program retail for 3,500 that we were promoting up to 5,000. Um, they price tested it, right? Um, customers who bought it from another affiliate, the previous launch, would come back and buy the same program again just to get our bonus package because we wow. can simultaneously say what we have is this and that and this incredible thing and that amazing thing. Now you can't buy it at any price, Summer. I will not take your money at any price. We will never sell it to you. But you know what I'll do? I'll give it to you for free if you buy this other person's product. Therefore, maintaining the integrity of a premium luxury brand while simultaneously making it free, which is the most exciting, most compelling uh, thing in the world. Because I've seen billionaires get upset when their parking isn't validated for $1.50, right? Um, yeah. We all went free. So how do we do both? That's how we do both. So the strategic positioning was the ability to have a bonus package that everybody wanted, but nobody could get exclusive only if they buy the other thing. Uh, and that is, I've, I just learned that the most effective things that we ever sell in, in any offer summer are the things we give away for free, not the things yeah. we pay for. Oh my gosh. And you, yeah, you have... I've learned models from you that completely prove this. It's amazing. <laughs> we always work from that premise. Uh, yeah. I'd rather sell you a $50,000 set of tires and then give you the car for free than yeah. sell you the car and give you the tires for free, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, and that's such a great way to, to, that's such a great analogy. We should do a, a cartoon on that. We should do a draw stuff <laughs> on that. I mean, it, the intangibles are what people like the most. The intangibles yeah. are the things you can't pay for. Uh, and that's really what makes the difference between those that do well and those that do. Okay. Now I'll give you one more example. And this is really interesting. Um, tactically speaking. Um, okay. There are two things that, that people buy based upon. Uh, the first one is the potential for gain. Uh, and the second one is the, the the negation of pain or the minimization of risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, this is not new. Everybody's like, well, duh, Jason, of course, I've heard all this before. But understanding and applying it are two separate conversations. And so uh, oftentimes, here's, here's the dispersity I've noticed in our marketplace summer. Um, I'm going to make a guess, and you tell me if I'm right. Um, your day is probably pretty wonderful most of the time. Pretty wonderful. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Now, why do you think that is? Uh, attitude, <laughs> things that I, the way that I've created it, or the way that I've, the choices I've made. The choices you've made, which are probably not the normal choices most people make. Would that be fair to say? Definitely. Yeah. What I've discovered is people like you and I, we are anything, but we're not average usually. Um, like the average human being is programmed to think thoughts 70% uh, negative on a daily basis, which makes yeah. sense mm -hmm. because we have to survive. Um, and so your default programming, your own operating system says, 
as long as I'm alive, that's better than being dead. But that doesn't necessarily mean I have to be happy. So let me just make myself be alive. So we have to consciously, through effort, a lot of effort, hijack our operating system and rewrite its programming. So oh, that yeah. way we can think positively in a world where most people think negatively. That's a, it's almost a requirement if you want to be successful in this life to figure Absolutely. out how to yeah, reverse that. You know, The other thing too is we all set a goal a big goal, and we achieved it already. You set the goal. I'm I'm assuming here, so tell me if I'm wrong, but you set the goal. I want to be in business, and I want to be able to design my lifestyle based on the fruits of my labor that are on my own business. Is that accurate? Yes, yes. Yeah, and so did I. So we've already accomplished this. So we look back on the problem from a positive frame. Now think about the opposite. The the person just starting their business or just starting to lose weight or just starting to repair their relationship or whatever the case may be that they're interested in buying your solution. And this extends far beyond information products, physical products, services, consulting, coaching, you name it. It all is framed in this. People spend money to get something greater than the money they spend and to reduce some pain that costs more to have than to pay to not have. Do I pay for health insurance or do I go on a vacation? Mm-hmm. That's a negative frame. Right. The million dollars is a positive frame. Most people wouldn't know what to do with a million dollars if you gave it to them. And that's why one out of three lottery winners ends up in dead or in prison in a decade or less, right? Yeah, um, yeah. The money isn't the problem. The solution isn't the problem. But typically, we only paint the benefit and we negate and forget ourselves about the pain point, right? Um, Now, on the other end, you can't be all doom and gloom uh, because nobody wants to be around that person who's predicting every two years that the economic collapse is impending, you know? Um, They weren't right the last 49 times that they predicted (laughs) it. And even if they're right on the 50th time, they still only got a 2% track record, right? Right. Uh, So nobody wants to be around that person because sometimes it can be too overwhelming. If you remind me of the pains that I'm experiencing too much, my brain just shuts down and then I don't let anything in and therefore I don't buy. Um, So we need a balance of both. We need to hype up, and I love the word hype, we need to really hype up the possibility of a better future than the present. But at the same time, we need to remind ourselves of the pain and the misery and the scariness that if we just remove that, even if they got a minimum benefit, would it still be worth it? So here's what we did. Now, here's the tactic. So that's the strategy. Here's the tactic. The tactic is very simple. Um, I took the guarantee that they had the standard guarantee, which is the standard guarantee you see in most products that are launched and sold on the internet, right? It's like, hey, 30 days. If you don't like it, you can have your money back. Right. No risk, right? Well, that's not true. Because what if I spend 30 days and I spend 10 hours a day, five days a week, that's 50 hours a week and 30 days times that by four, I spent 200 hours. So even if I get my money back in the course, I'm out 200 hours that I can't replace. Yeah. But let's even take it a step further, Summer. Uh, what if I go and say, in this particular instance, I say, okay, I want to start my Amazon business. So I order inventory and I pay for the shipping to be sent over from China to the United States. And I set up my account and I spend a little bit of money on advertising or design or branding or what have you, right? Even if you give me my money back from the course, if I spent five grand to get my business off the ground, that's unrecoverable, right? Yeah. So what do we do about that? So it all fundamentally comes back to this one question. What do they need to hear that they haven't heard yet that would get them to invest, that would get them to feel good about buying? 
And that's always the question. We sell a bunch of people and then we sit down and say, okay, for those who didn't say yes, we think they're qualified. We think they're the right fit. It seems like they should say yes because they spent four hours on our last webinar asking questions, but somehow or another, they didn't say yes. What do they need to hear that would make them say yes? So we went and we created our own guarantee. Now, this has never, ever been done before in the history of affiliate marketing, where we literally, on top of their guarantee, made up our own and underwrote our own guarantee. And we call it the certainty of success. Uh, and, and it went like this. We basically, it's a conditional guarantee. It says, if you don't do these four things that could be easily documented and checked, um, then you don't qualify. But if you do these four things and you don't have a business that has made you this much money in this period of time, then we will buy your business from you at that price. Wow. And give you your money back out of our pocket. Because this is what we said, 30 days is not enough. 30 days is a standard guarantee, but it's not enough to know if you're successful or not. So we're going to give you a 90-day guarantee. Now, here's the downside of that. You won't be able to get your money back from amazing.com, but we will buy your course from you. We'll buy your account from you, and we will buy your business from you as well. Because if you can't make it work, we damn sure will make it work. Uh, but you know, I doubt this will ever happen. But if it does happen, then we're here to buy every single one of your businesses if we have to. And now they say, oh my God, nowhere in the world, including the actual company itself or any other affiliate can reverse risk like we just did. Yeah. Okay. Now, now let me, let me give you the extra little flavor that that really makes all the difference. Because if you asked a hundred marketers to, you know, get into a classroom, if you asked like a Harvard business school to uh, dissect this campaign, they're all going to miss this next thing. Um, and this next thing I think is important. I don't know. It, it, I don't know if I can teach it and how to apply it. Maybe I can. Maybe I can't. But just being aware of it, I think, is a big deal. Um, this is rooted in game theory, Summer. So uh, most people don't know what game theory is, and those who do know game theory, they only know the mathematical side of game theory. Um, but game theory is fascinating to me. Um, you ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind? Yes. Okay, so that is basically the father of game theory. Um, great movie, uh, and it's a it's the the simplest way of describing this is I'm not just having a conversation with my customer. My customer's mood may be changed, may be altered. Their view of the world may become different based upon something that my competition whispers into their ear, right? So it is foolish for me to only think about the conversation I have with my customer and that my customer has with me. I also have to have the conversation that what, what poison is how I think about it. What poison is my competition putting in their ears? What stupid things is my competition leading them astray on that unfortunately I have to correct if I ever hope to service that customer, right? Now, in an affiliate sense, this is very game theory because we're all playing a game. In this case, the game is to sell more than the next person, right? Um, right? So it's in a very real sense, we're all playing a game. And every other affiliate is saying the same thing. But how do you invalidate the competition? How do you render them all inert? All right, that's a fun question to ask. You say, Jason, you sound a little ruthless. Yeah, I mean, this is business. Yeah. Um, somebody serves the customer the best. Why not me? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so part of it is I want to win for the joy of winning. But the other part is I want to give you the benefit of losing because <laughs> you learn more from losing than you do from winning. You know, it's like, 
I got to show you a better way of doing things if I ever hope to help you. So here's the better way. Here's how we render everybody inert. Because everybody's saying, we care more about the customer than the next guy. We're going to be there for you more than anybody. We're definitely the most prepared to help you. They're all saying the same thing, right? Yeah. So in one fell stroke, how can we render them all inert? Okay, well, this is what I did. Okay, this is important. It works on two levels. Level number one is we go, to a, we go down to our bank and we put a million dollars cash in a brand new account, brand new bank account. Okay. But that's not good enough. We have a letter written up by our private banker, wonderful woman named Cammie. She writes it up and she says, this letter is in recognition that on this time and at this date that Rapid Crush Inc., which is the name of my company, opened this account ending in these four digits and deposited $1 million in cash. And they have allowed me to disclose this balance to anybody who calls this number. They say it's okay to disclose this balance in case you want to verify it for yourself. Something like that, right? This isn't exactly word for word, but you get the point. And then it's signed and there are phone numbers there, right? And now I have this tool. So when I go into this guarantee that says, if you, if you can't make it work, I'll buy your business from you at retail price. Essentially guaranteeing the worst thing that'll be is you'll be $10,000 richer within 90 days. And that's probably the least likely scenario. You'll probably do even better than that, but at least I can guarantee profit legally to you no matter what. And to show you how serious I am, Summer, that this is no gimmick, here's a letter that proves it. I said, on one hand, I want to impress upon you the war chest that you have backing you. But on the other hand, if I have to buy every one of your damn businesses up for you, I have the means, <laughs> right? That's right. a little bit of showmanship. That's a little bit of drama. We all like the drama, right? Um, but here's what really that move did. Summer, here's what really made that work. Every affiliate, if they can get away with it, or every competitor, if they can get away with it, will copy you. If they can get away with it, why not? Right. That makes sense. Draw shop, unfortunately, isn't the only game in town. There's a hundred. Nowadays, they try to automate it with these stupid little clip art drawings, right? Yes, yes. They all look like crap. I mean, they do. But yeah. they say, hey, we're just as good as draw shop, but we're cheaper. <laughs> and you know what happens to your potential clients? They are now confused. Should I go with you or not? And then you got to have a damn conversation with them. And you got to explain to them the difference of why you're over there and doing this and they're doing that. And it's very tedious and it's very slow and it's very boring. And that's how game theory works is unfortunately now the customer is playing the game or interacting with the pieces on the board differently simply because of what other people independent of you are putting in their head or leading them to believe, whether true or otherwise, right? right? So every affiliate will copy every other affiliate. So they see how we make a bonus page and magically next week, their bonus page looks exactly like ours, right? They see how we structure a webinar and magically next week, their web, why not? We're the best, we make the most money, why not copy the best? It makes sense. But the downside of that is really the businesses that succeed are the businesses that have a moat. They have something you can't copy. And so what I knew is every other affiliate did not have both the, the concept of doing what I just did and the nuance of pulling it off, but also most of them didn't have a million dollars lying around, right? Right. So they couldn't copy it even if they tried because they can't come up with a million dollars. And so that was the kill shot. That was the coup de grace of how we did that. And so no affiliate could copy us. And so therefore they didn't even attempt to touch it. What they tried to do was minimize the importance of it. But that's fine with me because there was nothing that they could do 
there was nothing that they could do to respond to that. There was nothing that they do, could do to copy that. And that's really ultimately why we won, because it isn't the guarantee summer. It's what the guarantee represents. People yeah. would tell me this. They would say, listen, I looked at all these other options. We would tell them, find the option that works best for you. We're not the only ones selling this thing. We're not the only ones promoting it. There's 50 different guys out there you can buy. Buy the best bonus package. Go and look and then make the one decision that's good for you. All of our competition is pretending that they're the only one and they don't want anybody else to know. We're bragging about that there's other options. And we say, just, just see if they make a guarantee like this. See if they actually will back you up. And so why we make this guarantee is because we believe, and we do, this is all true. We believe so fundamentally in this ability that this is the best business model we've ever seen for somebody starting out. And this represents the best opportunity to get started. We believe in this so much. We're willing to go the extra mile for you. Who else is doing this? Measure when you look at the competition, see how they're going the extra mile for you. And just keep that in mind. And because that demonstration, if you will, that show, not just tell, if you will, that was the difference. It wasn't the guarantee. That's the tactics. The strategy was saying, oh my God, if I have to place a bet on who I should go with, that's going to help me out the most. I'm going with rapid crush because look at what they're doing that nobody else can do. And that's the difference between these legendary campaigns and those that just do so-so is, is that is the things like that, where you just, you can't be compared. You can't be looked at in the same league as everybody else but it doesn't matter if you're better than somebody else summer what matters is are you perceived as better than somebody else right. and that's that's why marketers that are really good make the big bucks because it's all in that perception on how to match if you're really the best your your job's not even halfway done you're just starting you now have to make it real it has to align with somebody's perception of you being the best well, and, and I think that a lot of that comes from, like you said earlier, is what, what do they need to hear that they're not hearing yet? Because when yep. they do hear that, that's where that perception comes from. Because now all of a sudden they're like, well, you, it, there's just that, oh, okay, they, they get it. They know what I need. So they must be the best because they're going to take care of that, that pain that I have. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that summer comes from like, I don't care if I'm right or wrong. Um, I'll just adjust, right? Um, and I think a lot of marketers, that's what holds them back. Um, I can't tell you how many times I went to my audience and saying, man, I, this is a webinar example, right? I'll say that webinar on Monday that I did, I really missed the mark. I thought X, Y, and Z was super important to you, but it turns out you don't really care about that. And what you really care about is one, two, and three. So if you're willing to forgive me in my attempt to help you out, right? I'm going to do another webinar on Tuesday, but this time we're going to throw out all the other stuff that you didn't care about. And we're going to try to talk more about the stuff that it seems to me that you did care about. Why don't you come and check it out and see if I'm on the mark this time. Right. And that will get you a better response than any other thing that you could possibly ever figure out as long as you're willing to admit that you're the one that made the mistake. But nobody wants to do that because we're all, you know, us big gurus and us big marketers and us thought leaders. We got to be perfect. I mean, we're, we, we're superhuman, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm wrong more than I'm right. Okay. So I have a question because I'm sure people are asking how many people tried to or, or came back after 90 days because that's over $10 million. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question, right? Yeah. So we spent a quarter million dollars fulfilling 
those bonuses in the lifetime, the life cycle that we had that um, guarantee, um, fulfilling those guarantees. We generate, we sold $40 million of Amazon product and we returned a quarter million dollars over the life cycle of that. But I believe without that guarantee, we would have only sold $30 million. Yeah. So the question is always, would you, would you refund a quarter million dollars if it made you an extra 10 million? Now, Summer, here's what's crazy about this. I mean, we should really document this. This is where like, I would rather do this stuff than teach it. Um, but you know, we should probably teach it more and document it more. Here's the funny thing. I can recall just off the top of my head, three of the people that qualified for the guarantee that went on and built a six or seven figure per year Amazon business. Yeah. So their failures were still good enough for them to be successful. And I always think back to if we didn't make that guarantee, they would have still been in that stuck situation where they weren't making any money. Right. So who benefits? I think we're all a little too selfish because we say like, oh my God, if I make this guarantee, what kind of risk do I put myself in? If I make this guarantee and I, I fail somebody because um, you know, they don't succeed and therefore they have to take the guarantee, well, they're not worse off. They're better off than they would be anyway, right? But I think we look on it too much from a us mentality. I always look at it in the customer mentality. Yeah. If I miss this segment of customers because I don't have this guarantee, then there goes a hundred success stories out the window that I would have that I don't have anymore. And nobody wins in that situation. I make less money and my customers benefit less. But we typically forget that at the end of the day, it's one person connecting with another person. We typically, we, we think too much in terms of funnels and, uh, and you know, email lists and all these impersonal concepts. And we just really forget if this person had no risk and only and only reward, would they buy? And if so, how do we design that? You know. Now, by the way, can we design this is the first question. Sometimes you can't. Oftentimes you can't. But if you ask that question enough, eventually you say, oh, in this particular case, in this instance, we can design it. And guess what happens? Since you're the only one that does that, we call that a blue ocean. You win. You are now serving a marketplace that nobody else is serving, a market segment. And it might be representative of 10 million dollars, a hundred million dollars. And if you're the only one servicing them, that's how you are average and get exceptional results. See, everybody somewhere wants to be exceptional to get exceptional results. Now, the thing that <laughs> I like to use examples because they're, they're, they're teaching points that stick, uh, but some of them are a little politically incorrect is the joke is if I want to win more races, I don't want to become a better sprinter. I go, I want to race paraplegics. <laughs> <laughs> I have sold a lot of off-color jokes and examples of my day that are a million times worse than that one, Summer. That one is the one that always gets critiqued the most. And so I, <laughs> that makes me want to use it more. I don't know, but that's the concept here. But now, you know how what? Do I get people, yeah, it, it, it proves the concept. Yeah. How do, that's not how do I get better. It's how do I stay the same but get a better result? Such strategic thinking. And so for most people listening to this, the question they always ask me is how do I get better at webinars? How do I get really good at webinars? I say, no, 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 no. Are you in a market where nobody's doing webinars? If the answer is yes, I say any webinar is going yeah. to be a level up. It's you be, be please be 100% average in your webinar because it's the mechanism that's important. It's not the execution of the mechanism. And so we are too often, because it makes sense, we are always taught to be exceptional. We're always taught to excel and be the best and to always improve and all this other stuff, right? Uh, but the marketplace doesn't care about that. The marketplace says, if nobody else is serving me and you give me an average solution, 
that's still a million times better than no solution. And so therefore, I can start with an average solution to an underserved market segment. They will love me. They'll say, where have you been my whole life? Thank you. Give me your, here's my money. Give me more. And then when everybody else recognizes, oh, I should do that, because most people lack imagination, so they just observe the next person and copy them. When they say, oh, I should do that too, they've already lost. Because by the time Amazon got on people's radar, we had already such a head start that yeah. nobody could catch up to us. So we started with an average solution in a market that had no solution. And by the time everybody else started to get into that market, we improved upon it to make it an exceptional one-of-a-kind solution. But we didn't start with saying, how do we get the best solution ever possible, the one that's really one-of-a-kind, right? We basically just said, hey, listen, let's just serve somebody who's not being served at all. And then is it worth our while? And then if it is and it validates, then we keep trading up. Well, what if we add this? What if we do this? What if we include this? What if we do that? But everybody has the wrong conversation. They say, how do we get better? The right question to ask is, how do we stay exactly the same but be five times more effective? That's a strategic question. That's the questions I like to ask. So, okay, you've talked about how you can build the frame. You've talked about strategy. Tell us about rapid crush and how other people can, you know, some people are like, I'm not that strategic or how, how could I possibly come up with that kind of a frame? I don't know what to do. You know, it it makes sense to them hearing all this. It's genius, but it's like, you know, how do I do it? I hear you. So summary, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, I want to give you the fish and teach you to fish at the same time. Um, You know, the the saying of you, you teach a man to fish uh, and he can eat for the rest of his life. Right. Right. But I don't want any hungry fishermen out there trying to catch fish. <laughs> There's no reason why I'm teaching you how to fish that you should be hungry and are uncomfortable, right? So the philosophy that we are, the big bet that we've placed is, is strategically, I felt that information has now become more readily available and of higher quality than any point in history, right? And we can get it pretty much anywhere. I could be stranded in the desert and be downloading and listening to your podcast five minutes from now, right? For right. free. That's insane right. So we said in a case where information has been democratized in a thing where more information is better than ever, the advantage in the marketplace isn't necessarily in uh, information, it's an implementation. So we pivoted the company uh, to become a services company primarily. Um, so what we do is to serve the upper end of the echelon of the market, very similar to what you do at Draw Shop, is we just do it for the client. We create the webinar and we figure out the positioning and all the other elements. Uh, and, and we have quickly become the number one solution provider. And, you know, I always like to frame it like this summer. It's like, I don't write webinars. What I do is the following. Uh, we create your I have a dream speech for your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody should have that one thing that they stand for. That when the right person hears it, says, oh, my God, this isn't just a piece of communication. This is a whole paradigm shift. And every company worth existing has that wonderful, amazing story, that, that amazing version of the I have a dream speech. And so we help get that out there. Uh, so, so for those clients, that's what we do. For other clients, we have a program that teaches them how to do it on their own. So if, if they're the kind of person that still likes to cut their own grass after they make a million dollars, I hear you. So we have a course called Genius Webinars uh, that you can Google and you can get your hands on that teaches the same methodology. Because to me, the webinar is the purest form of everything I teach summer. It is yeah. like, the micro. It's a full campaign. It's, it, it encompasses every strategic element that I do on the macro, but it does it in a single campaign setting. So you can start there, get the leverage point, and then figure out how to make it general. So what I mean by that is 
um, positioning is always important in every single business. Um, so Southwest Airlines, do you fly Southwest, Southwest at all? Sometimes. I can't even say it right now. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Southwest as an airline. They have no first class. Um, right. They have this weird boarding procedure. Um, and it's not even that luxurious at all. It's pretty, it's like a bus with wheel, uh, right. with wings, right? Totally. But yet I find myself flying all the time Southwest because I can change my flight whenever I want to for no yeah. cost. Always okay. available, convenient. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's crazy. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, and usually it's just for short flights. Southwest is positioned very, very simply, right? We're going to get you from point A to point B without a whole lunch, a bunch of frills and, and fuss. Um, now, you know, we're going to make jokes and be entertaining because that's free. That doesn't cost us anything. But anything that costs us something, we're going we're gonna to skimp on. Yeah. Uh, just so we can get you anywhere you want, whenever you want. And if you change your mind 15 times, that's okay too. And by the way, they do have the fastest boarding procedure of every single airline that exists uh, because they're willing to look goofy uh, to get you there faster from point A to point B. That's their position. Yeah. Uh, and that's beautiful. Now, nobody else can take that position. They can say, oh, well, we're Southwest too, but we're also you know, a, a premium airline, or we're also this and we're also that. Uh, that's a beautiful position, and they own it in the marketplace, and they're therefore number one in that space that they occupy. Right? So every business needs to carve out and pick a space that if you can't be number one at immediately, over time, sooner rather than later, you can take the number one dominant position. Because every market over time looks like this. There is one major player, there's a secondary person that kind of is everything the major player is not, and then everybody else fights for third place, and it's just like a revolving door. So there's one Coca-Cola, so you know, worldwide, Coke dominates the market, Pepsi-Cola is second. They get a small sliver by being everything Coke is not. So if Coke is like the nostalgia brand, Pepsi is the voice of a new generation. So they have to base all their thing on wispy, everything Coke isn't. And then who's third? Like Royal crown cola or some goofy thing like that doctor yeah. cola i don't know right right uh, and then you look at the smartphone market even though iphone only captures about 15 percent of the market it's the most lucrative 15 percent. so from a revenue perspective they capture 74 percent of the revenue available so you have apple they're number one and then you have number two like uh, android right mm -hmm. and then who's number three i don't know a google phone or whatever that is <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, who knows, right? Tablets <laughs> yeah. are the same way. There's yeah. the iPad, there's the Surface. Well, that one's even hard to remember. And then there's everybody else. So every single market over time will emerge with one dominant person who takes up about 80% of the market share, uh, a number two, which takes up about 20%, and then a number three through whatever fighting over that one or two or 3%. Uh, and that's just how it always works. So if you're not number one, it's not worth being in the market at all, in my opinion, because then you're, you have to dictate strategy by doing everything number one won't do. Okay. Uh, so that's positioning at a macro level. Every business needs to be positioned in order to have that and maintain that position ideally indefinitely, right? Uh, now, on a micro level, if you're on my webinars, my goal is to position what I have for you that you'll learn by the end of that webinar to be the, the most powerful, most effective, best thing ever that nobody else can compete with. So I will take a position in your mind that on that topic, on that specific outcome, I'm the best. 
And by the way, Summer, what I've discovered, and I love this, anybody can do that. You know, the joke is when I train people, it's like, uh, so I, I worked with and did a product with um, the only American to, to summit all the 8,000 meter peaks in the world uh, without assisted oxygen. Um, he was the fifth person in the whole world to do it, a guy named Ed Viester. So he, they created a uh, IMAX, his highest grossing documentary of all time was him climbing Mount Everest, right? Okay. Um, and, and, and I love Ed to death. He's one of the most wonderful human beings in the world. Uh, and it's very interesting because Ed talks about, at first it used to be the first person to ever climb Everest. Then it was the first woman to ever climb Everest. Then it was the, the first kid under 18 to climb Everest. And it was the yeah. first person in India to climb Everest. And it was the first, now it's the first person with one eye uh, who's over the age of 70, but they're still number one, right? Wow, yeah. You can always carve up. It's but so Amelia Earhart was the third person to do a solo transatlantic flight, right? She wasn't the second. She was the third. Nobody remembers the second because he was the second guy to do it. But Amelia Earhart, who was the third, was the first female to do it, right? right. Um, you know, I could be the first one to fly across with a German shepherd uh, accompanying me, and I would be number one, right? So yeah. whenever you yeah, do a webinar... Best-selling books. <laughs> oh, totally, right? Yeah. Uh, whenever you do a webinar, you literally can pick and choose and you can carve up and you can get a tar- give them a target and say, this is what I want to accomplish by our webinars end today. Mm-hmm. And then if you go and do that and you do it in such a way where you know you're the only one that's defined that territory and then set out to conquer it, your audience will naturally conclude if you follow the program correctly, they'll naturally conclude at that you are the best. And so therefore you have an in- Tense amount of authority and a credibility that most people don't have because when I encounter most people, I don't come to the conclusion that they are the best at that particular thing. And so that's the micro application. So on the macro, we want to position ourselves to be the number one service provider or the number one outcome or the number one solution or the number one widget for blank. On the micro level, in a webinar interaction, we want the person to conclude that for that topic in that moment, we are the number one best. Right. in the whole world of that. And it, it goes, everything is like that though. So I mean, that's what's the beauty of this is every single thing can be pared down to the micro macro relationship. And so, you know, how do we position ourselves as being above and beyond? So we're non-comparable to any substitutable good uh, on a macro level. There's a lot of logic in place that I talked about earlier today with, you know, the, the million dollar guarantee and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. On a micro level, it's very, very simple. Um, what you, what you do on a micro level is you talk, you talk more about the challenges they have, because um, everybody wants to avoid that. So on a webinar, we talk about one of the things we pioneered was bringing up objections in the first five minutes. Most people don't bring up objections to the last five minutes of the webinar, right? I said, before I teach you X, Y, and Z, let me talk about some of the hurdles that get in the way of you accomplishing X, Y, Z. The first one is, and then we whack them over the head with that big <laughs> complaint that they have that they think limits them, right? Right. We don't hide from that. The other thing we do in the introduction is we put testimonials in the first two minutes. Most people in a webinar will put like the 15 testimonials they have at minute 50. And by the time you hear testimonial 15, it could have been, you know, Jesus Christ incarnate come back to say your program's amazing and nobody cares anymore because they're overwhelmed. But if we take 15 testimonials and carve them up and strategically deploy three at a time in five different locations, not only can we get all 15 in, but it feels even bigger than it is because we broke them up over time. So my thing is before I can prove to you that I can help you, I have to show you other people that I've helped. But that runs counter 
to how everybody else has done it. Um, but that's the micro. So that's positioning. That goes back to positioning. The positioning is nobody else does this. And therefore, if I'm the only one that does this in my market or the only one that does it in this way, my, nat- my audience will naturally conclude that I'm not like every other person in that market. So therefore, I occupy a unique space in their mind. So it, uh, anyway, well, you know, I told Summer at the beginning of this, I go, I don't do a lot of these podcasts. Uh, so when I do so 30 and 40 minutes end up becoming uh, 64 minutes. Oh my gosh, but it's <laughs> so good. It's so good. I feel like, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much more because I know, I know other successes of yours. I know other things that you're doing that literally, I mean, I could have you on here 10 more times, you know, it's yep. just, it's so good. Um, Okay. So we know I want to, I'm going to have all of these links in our show notes and blog, the um, genius webinars, rapidcrush.com. Is it, is it even possible to work with you or, or do you have Oh to- yeah, it's totally possible to work with All right. Me. Yeah. I mean, not me direct. Well, I guess I'll take that back. Um, I do consulting for clients, um, 25 grand for an eight hour block that can be then divvied up um, or taken all at once. Um, so that's the only way I put myself out there. And usually that will lead to better engagements for the team. But our, our team is basically indoctrinated and uh, brainwashed into being able to replicate me assembly line style for each and every client that we interact with. Right. Uh, so we have clients that come to us. Um, I can't disclose them because they're usually under these NDAs, but right. we, are the, the, we are the DNA in which they show up in the market place. Uh, so they get all the credit, uh, but we are the ones that are creating the thing that gets them all the credit. So the webinar or really the best sales vehicle that can be represented uh, in a single setting, that's what our company does. Uh, so if they want to reach out to us at support at rapidcrush.com, uh, we can set you up with an account specialist and we can take a look to see if you're a good fit. Amazing. So, so great. Um, I, I still actually do have like a hundred more, more things I want to talk about. Um, so I think you should come back. If, I would if, love to come back. Awesome. Um, thank you so much. This was such good stuff. Oh my gosh. And I've been, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm like trying, I didn't want to type on my keyboard notes, but I keep hearing stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'll tap it on my notepad on my phone. And I'm like, you know. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Because on my end, they're just knocking down walls and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Jason, so much. This is so fantastic. Um, you're you're amazing in all kinds of ways, and I'm definitely having you back. Uh, I look forward to it, Summer. Thank you so much. Thank you.